0: Alright, John chapter 1. If you've found John 1, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. John chapter 1, I'll start in verse 1 and uh, we'll read down, we'll read the whole passage. I'll read down to verse 18. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Join me as we pray. Father, we stand in need as your people. We pray that your grace would fill and heal the wounds. That you would strengthen us, that we might rejoice. That we might keep our eyes on Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are believers in God but do not have yet a saving faith in Jesus. We pray by your Spirit you would open their eyes to see Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I do love this passage at Christmas time, and so should you. Especially this Christmas. Of all the beautiful and clear descriptions of Jesus in the entire Bible, this is the one when I read it that gives me the most strength when I feel weak. This passage gives me the most hope when I feel worried. You read this passage and it's a it really is one that shines in the Bible. It's, it's majestic in its tone, it's glorious in its prose. Here in this passage is all the hope and glory of Jesus shining at its brightest. Here's why we, here's why we worship Jesus, supreme leads. It's why we believe we are saved in him eternally. This passage, if you read it and read it slowly and you let it sink in, it can comfort you when you hurt. It can sober me when I doubt. John 1 is is a passage that pushes us to the mission. It calms us in the chaos. It brings me to want to witness. I mean, right here in these 18 verses I read, we're going to look at just a few of them. But right here in these verses, we find the reason behind our worship. We find the joy in our songs. This is is why we sing the songs that we do. Here is Jesus. This is what John is doing for us. He's bringing the Savior front and center. Here is Jesus identified in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his grace and truth, as John would say. Here John tells us of the unique, the monogenes, the unique son of God that has come to us from all eternity to save us. By calling Jesus the word in verse 1, the logos, John is stating that Jesus was active in creation. He is shown to us in revelation and he is singular in redemption. In short, this is John's way of saying, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here, here is this Christmas passage. And right here in this Christmas passage, especially verse 14, John is clearly identifying Jesus as God. King Jesus, you might call him. He is eternal. He is separate. He is equal with God. I mean, honestly, this is what makes us Christians, is what John says here about Jesus, that he is the creator of all things, the giver of all life, and the true light that that enlightens every man. When you read the Old Testament, you see that Jesus is prophesied and predicted on earth. He was shunned and rejected and crucified AND CHRISTMAS TELLS US THAT THE ONE THAT BRINGS HOPE IS HERE, ONE FULL OF GRACE AND TRUTH. SO WHEN YOU READ JOHN'S GOSPEL, HE he STARTS WITH, THIS IS THE PICTURE OF THE VIRGIN BIRTH, VERSE 14 IS, FROM HIS MIRACULOUS BIRTH TO HIS FINISHED WORK ON THE CROSS, JOHN WILL SHOW US THAT JESUS IS THE ONLY REAL SAVIOR, THAT HE'S WORTH YOUR LIFE, HE'S WORTH YOUR LOVE, He's worth your affections. He's worth whatever suffering you have to go through. He's worth you untangling some of the problems you deal with. He's worth your devotion. Now, today when I preach, I'm not going to provide much application today. In other words, I don't want to just give you, here some ways you can be better. I don't, want, I don't want to show you ways to be better. I want to point you to the one who is better, to Jesus. I want to put your eyes on the last Adam that has come to redeem you from the pit and to restore the Imago Day, the, the image of God in you. So this sermon is not filled with a lot of uh, to-dos. I want you to find forgiveness and, and feel hope and gain confidence and 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 stability. I want you to see that you can have joy by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So I hope that you'll see this morning about Christmas. If you'd like to keep score, this is probably what I would write down. Christmas is the glory of God come to us. Christmas its the glory of God that's come to us. Now, we read 18 verses. I can't preach the whole passage this morning. What I'd like to do is point out a couple of highlights that were helpful to me and hopefully will be helpful to you as well. I'd like to just take the beginning. We'll we'll deal with verse 1 and then verse 14. I'll have two points. The first point will be verse 1 and then the second point, uh, we'll deal with verse 14. Here's the first one. Number one. When the world is chaotic, Christ... Centers me When when my world is chaotic, and the world we live in is chaotic, when your personal little circle world you live in is chaotic, there is a centering effect of Jesus Christ. You feel that in the very first couple of verses, really in verse 1. Notice the centering effect of verse 1. When you read that very first sentence, you can get a feel for what John is doing. Here's what John is doing. John has reached back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you were to put them side by side, Genesis 1 verse 1, the first two words there are the exact same first two words in John chapter 1 verse 1. John is doing something here. He's letting you know that Jesus is not just a Jewish prophet that's come up on the scene. John's doing this on purpose, telling us that there was not anything, time or matter before Jesus. Do you see it in verse 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's doing this on purpose, letting us know that before there was any time or any matter, before there was Corona, before there were elections, before there were struggles, before your parents were born, before America existed. Before all of that, there was the Word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In this one beautiful verse, John is making several astounding affirmations, affirmations that actually help me in everyday life. So let me give you a couple of them. They're they're, uh, simple, but they might be worth writing down and remembering. So I might just write down the phrase, Jesus is forever. Forever. Jesus is forever. So, so when I say forever, what I mean is as far back as you can see, as far back as forever goes backwards in time, there is Jesus. Forever goes b- both ways. And, and as far forward as you can imagine in the future, as far as you can think about the future, a thousand, ten thousand, ten billion years from now, there is Jesus. So however far back you see things, there is Christ. Christ. He's there. However far in the future you can see, there is the rock that is Christ, and the rock that is Christ is the rock that always has been and is the rock that always will be. So that if you today, watching online or sitting here at church, if you are in Christ, now when I say if you're in Christ, it's very important you understand what that means. If you have looked to the crucified, resurrected Jesus for Forgiveness, you've repented of your sins and you've trusted that what Jesus did on the cross was for you. You are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, it's good for you to be reminded today that his love for you is infinite. His forgiveness of you is bottomless. His grace extended to you. There's no end to the grace that he gives us and today i'm asking you to read this passage and trust him trust you can look back at what we've been through trust god has carried us through so much trust him for what's in the future it's good for us to remember that jesus is forever and under the same point i'll give you something else to remember about jesus It should go without saying, but it's good for us to remember this, and that is that Jesus is God. If I were writing things down, that's what I would write down. Jesus is God. I mean, you see that right there in verse 1, 2, and 3. It sort of flows together. Let me read it to you again. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now when you read that, you see that the Word was with God. There are two distinct persons, but the Word was God and one God. Two distinct persons, one God. We are a Trinitarian people. It's important that we get this. We need to to think of it for a little while. We don't think about the Trinity enough. We are a Trinitarian people believing that God has revealed himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Trinity is why you can be secure in your salvation. Because it didn't depend on you, it is all of God. All of your salvation is all of God. The Puritans used to say the only, thing we, the only thing we add to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. So the Trinity reminds us... Well, think of it like this. God the Father planned your salvation. God the Son accomplished your salvation at the the cross. God the Spirit applied your salvation when your eyes were opened to believe in Jesus. Or think about your own prayer life. The Trinity plays a part in your prayer life. Why? We pray to God the Father... We pray on the merits of Jesus the Son. That's why we say in Jesus' name. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, oftentimes when our prayers are too profound or too, too deep for word, the, the, the Holy Spirit in us offers them up in groanings. Or when you think about being in the family of God, you might think that God the Father has adopted us through Jesus the Son, and then He seals us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important at Christmas for, for us to remember our triune God. He saves us, He sanctifies us, He seals us. And He does that through the eternal work of Jesus the Son, who was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, all of that to say, when the world is chaotic, there is the bigness of who God is that brings me back to the cross of Jesus. And there at the cross of Jesus, we develop this view of Christ. You might call it Christology. You have theology, is the study of God, Christology, the study of Christ. We need to have a high Christology, a high view of who Jesus Christ is, and there we can anchor our lives. In Jesus, we see that He is God forever, that He created all things, that He sustains all things, that in Him all things hold together. So what does that mean? How does that apply to you? Well, let's take that Christology and bring it to our lives. You read the stories of Jesus in the New Testament. There you see that He heals sickness, that He calms fears, that He removes shame, that He forgives sin, that He provides confidence, That for those that are lonely, he fills up with affection, that he protects the future. Read the New Testament, He raises the dead. And He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your sacrifice. He's worthy of your giving. He's he's worthy of your affection. He's worthy of your repentance. He's, He's worthy of you going through suffering. He's worthy of your struggle. He's worthy of you taking risks. And I just want to tell you with confidence that when the world is chaotic, just personally, Christ centers feel the stri- Christ centers me, gives me confidence for the future. That's the first point. Let me, let me give you a second point. It might be something worthwhile to consider. And that second point, we'll have to go from verse 1 and we'll drop over to verse 14. So we'll come a long way from verse 1 down to verse 14 and uh, as we think of it, here's the second point. I'll, I'll say it in the first person uh, so that we understand we're all equal before the Lord. When I'm a sinner, Christ saves me. If I were writing things down, that's exactly what I would write in the first person. When I'm a sinner, Christ saves me. I, I said it like that, so, so hoping that some of you would write it down, you would see it there on the paper in front of you, and, and you, would, you would trust that and believe it yourself. I mean, look with me at verse 14. Don't you love verse 14 at Christmas time? Look with me at verse 14. Many would say that verse 14 is the most concise statement of the incarnation in the Bible, the clearest picture of the why behind Christmas. Look at it with me. Verse 14 goes like this And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, Logos, became flesh. In this passage, John very carefully calls Jesus the Word. Logos is the Greek word for word. A word is an expression of a thought. If he is the Word, let's think about what that might mean for Jesus. As the Word, Jesus would reveal God's mind. As the Word, Jesus reveals and displays God's perfections. As the Word, Jesus gives God's plan. As the Word, Jesus expresses God's will. As the Word, here on earth, Jesus is the only one that's ever done it. He meets all of God's expectations. As the Word, He would keep all of God's law. As the Word, on earth, He would show God's power. Go and read the stories of Jesus and His compassion for people there. As the Word, He would display God's heart. He is the Word. That's what John calls Him in John chapter 1, verse 14, that's the divine title, but he doesn't leave him there. He says, the incarnation, here comes the virgin birth, the word became flesh. That word flesh is a strong word. Of all the words that John could use in the Greek dictionary, he opened it up and he, he picked up this word flesh. He could, have used, um, he could have used the word that spoke to human nature. He could have said that Jesus became man or that Jesus took on a human body But here, John is speaking very bluntly. He says Jesus is the Word and Jesus is flesh. He's making it uh, abundantly abundantly clear that Jesus is God and Jesus is man. We've talked about what it means for Him to be the Word. Let's talk about what it means for Jesus to be man. Jesus lived on this earth for roughly 33 years, we have the last three years of his life, his public ministry, and there we see the inauguration of something happened in the wilderness with Jesus. Go back and read it, and you'll see that Jesus was tempted. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way, and yet without sin. It's important for us to, to think on that just a little bit, that as man, Jesus is tempted. tempted. Now you think about your own nature, the things that you face, the things you deal with, the temptations that you have to fight off, those that that are presented to us and how often we fall to temptation. You can reach back to the very first Adam. Adam fell to temptation and sin entered into the world. Jesus comes as the second Adam and he is tempted in every way. And yet what Adam lost, Jesus wins tempted the author of hebrews thought this was so important in hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 he he speaks about jesus being tempted and he says that because he himself suffered jesus suffered when he was tempted because because of that he is able to help those who are tempted the word became flesh so he could be tempted But not only that, as the flesh, as as a man, Jesus would live as the perfect example on earth, perfect example. It's good for us to see Jesus as the example, but to remember we are not saved by his example. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, the bracelets. Remember the WWJD bracelets and have t-shirts, what would Jesus do? You wear know, it, and that was supposed to be a reminder to you, and you face a circumstance, you look down that bracelet and think, what would Jesus do? Now, typically, I would look at the bracelet too late. Missed the opportunity. Mine should have said, what would Jesus have done? What would Jesus do? But why do we have that there? Because he is our example. But let's not get lost too, too far in that ideology. Let's not think just about being a follower of Jesus. It's okay to call yourself a follower of Jesus. I think that's a fine way to describe yourself as a Christian, but that's not all we are. We are not saved by his example. We are saved by his finished work on the cross where he died in the place of sinners. That's where sinners are saved. But he lived as an example here on earth to give us a template. What is the man or woman that is a Christian to do, not saved by the example of Jesus, but we follow the example of Jesus. As a man, he gave us an example. The word became flesh. So, so he came and was tempted. He came as an example, living perfectly. But let's not forget the very, very reason and heartbeat of Christmas. As a man, he came to die for the sins. Of men and women. You often hear me use the terms the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam came, created in the image of God, and fell into sin. That sinful nature has been inherited by all of Adam and Eve's children. That's us, and that sinful nature we act out in sin. We are are sinners, and because we are sinners, that's why we sin. Sinners, sin. Jesus came, not as the first Adam, but as the second Adam. And as the second Adam, he came to save us from that inherited curse from the first Adam. How did he do it? Instead of falling to sin like Adam did when he was tempted, Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet without sin, living perfectly with the righteousness of Christ, he goes to the cross and gives every person that believes the righteousness that he earned. And on the cross, he takes the punishment for all the sinners that will ever be saved. And there, the curse of the first Adam is lifted by the second Adam. I mean, isn't that what Paul taught us in Romans? Romans chapter 5, we were back there, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so back in Romans chapter 5. You remember Romans, right? Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that sin and death came into the world through one man. And because of that, Adam... Because sin and death came into the world through one man, the free gift of grace comes to us through another man, Jesus Christ, and that's the good news of Christmas. The Word became flesh. So think of of it now. You take those two and put it up together. As the Word, He is the Son of God. As the flesh, He is the Son of Man. A.W. Pink, great preacher and Expositor and really was a scholar a hundred years or so ago. A.W. Pink, uh, he said that the, the infinite became finite. The invisible became tangible. The unknown became touchable. The unspeakable became the Word. And in verse 14, keep looking at it now, the Word became flesh and dwelt. You see that word dwelt? If you have the King James, it might say tabernacled. Pitched his tent. Why do we we, uh, think about that word, dwelt? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is doing something right there in verse 14. He's reaching back once again to the Old Testament, this time not to Genesis, but to Exodus, and he brings forward this idea of tabernacle. The tabernacle in the wilderness is where God would meet with his people. It was a temporary structure. It It predated the temple, but it would become a symbol for Christ. And there in the wilderness, God would meet with his people in the tabernacle. What the tabernacle was in the wilderness, Jesus is God with us. In the human condition of weakness and sin and chaos, Jesus comes. God has pitched his tent in his people in the form of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, that's where God met with His people, and John teaches us that the new tabernacle is here. The only Son from the Father. The Word became flesh, verse 14 says, and dwelt among us. John says, I, I was there. This is an apostle, first-hand account. I was there, I saw it with my own eyes. I I saw the transfiguration, I saw the crucifixion, I saw the resurrection, I saw the ascension. We have beheld His glory. It's a special kind of glory. Look at verse 14, what kind of glory it is. It's a special kind, glory as of the only Son. Do you see it? Glory as of the only Son from the Father. That's an important phrase, only Son. That phrase, only son, it it comes from the Greek word monogenes. Mono meaning one or unique, and genes meaning type or gene. The only one, the unique. The only one in existence. That is important because you need to pull that phrase forward a couple of chapters to John chapter 3, verse 16, where we hear the phrase, God so loved the world that he gave his monogenes, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, what we have here is Christmas, is God giving his son that leads to the cross. And the cross is what he gave his son to. So, so if, you, if you are already a Christian, If you're a Christian, this text reminds us that we have been purchased and the currency is the blood of Christ. If you're not a Christian, if you believe in God, but you you don't have a saving faith in Jesus, there's no evidence of it in your life, there's no fruit to prove that, then I would just say to you, this is how he saves us. This is what Christmas is about, God saving people in Jesus. As a saint, if you're, you're already a Christian, as a saint, this is, how he, this is how he sustains us. Now, I want to take verse 14 and, and sort of head to the end of this sermon with verse 14. And what I want to do is I want to read verse 14, the whole thing again. And let's go to the end and let's put all the weight. Of verse 14, let's take all the weight and put it on the end and see those two words. Let me read it to you. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you look over to verse 16, grace upon grace. Look over to verse 17, grace and truth. Verse 14, 16, and 17, the only places in the entire Gospel of John you find the words grace. And he puts there the word truth. He puts that at the very front, the prologue of his gospel, to tell us, if you're going to read this gospel, you've got to read it through the lens of grace. The grace of God towards sinners is the dominating theme of the New Testament, and that theme is set side by side with the theme of truth. It's important we have both. Grace without truth, well, that's universalism. Truth without grace... That's judgmentalism and legalism. We have to have the two. And that's what John does for us, grace and truth. You hear it every Sunday. When we go through the gospel and we've taken those categories and we say God, man, Christ, and response, you have the picture of truth and grace. Let me explain. The the truth is that God is holy and he's created Everything you see, including you, created you in his image. You have the image of God in you. The truth is that even though you have the image of God because of your own sin, that image has been disfigured. And the truth of the Bible is that God is holy. We are sinners. And sinners are so foul in the eyes of God because of their sin, they deserve to die. They should be punished. Go back and read Genesis the very first act of grace is when God didn't immediately kill Adam and Eve. The fact that if you're not a Christian, the fact that you opened your eyes again today, it, it's, just, it's just God's good grace that keeps you alive. The truth is we deserve to go to hell. That's the truth. The truth is that, that man is a sinner separated. But then truth and grace come in Jesus truth is that he's the God-man. He lived perfectly. Went to the cross. There at the cross is when truth and grace come together. The truth is a man must die in the place of men and women. Jesus. And there the judgment of God fell on one man to save all sinners that will ever be saved. And grace then comes from that. The grace of God is he forgives every person that will repent and place his or her faith in Jesus. And that's what Christmas is ultimately headed toward. Christmas is the glory of God that has come down to us. When the world is chaotic, it's Christ that centers me. When I'm a sinner, it's Christ that saves me will you come to Christ and be saved and be centered at the cross join me as we pray together let me invite you to thank you thank you let me invite you to bow your heads here with me just for a moment just for a moment and those of you that are watching online I would just invite you to do the same Maybe you have a belief in God, but it's not been a saving faith in God. A saving faith in God is when you've put your faith in Jesus and what He's done for you on the cross. Typically, after a sermon like this, we might invite you to come forward or we might meet you out in the lobby, but probably the best way to talk to you more is online, is you to to send us through our prayer requests. We read all of those. So that we can know where you are, you can maybe then express what you've struggled with, and we can help you know what it means to be a Christian and then start following Christ. And maybe already you're a believer and you just need to be encouraged to to be confident in what God has given you in Jesus, how he's loved you in Jesus, to find your security in the cross of Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace that saves and sustains us May we celebrate with great joy what it means to be a child of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's awesome.